Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Coffee Clash. The Coffee Clash and Special Needs Talk Radio Network feature outstanding programming for the special needs community. Our team of hosts provide educational interviews. Our shows are not designed to provide listeners with specific or personal medical, legal, or professional service or advice. Parents of children with health issues should always consult their health care provider for medical advice, medications, or treatment. Any show discussing rights and law for special needs children and special education are presented as general information and not legal advice. Special Needs Coffee Clash Limited does not promote any host or guest individual practice, programs, treatments, or products. We thank you for joining us and are proud to provide excellence in broadcasting for the special needs community. And now, on to the interview. Good afternoon. This is Dr. Russell Hyken, and you are tuned in to the Dr. Russell Hyken Show. Today's topic will be related to uh, eating disorders and the issues that families face with that. Um, it should be an exciting show, and Ellen Sheffield, Tase psychotherapist, will be joining us shortly. Today's show, however, is brought to you by uh, Discovering Behavioral Interventions. It's an online training course, and it's for real parents to take you through applied behavioral analysis in 10 step-by-step modules. Learn more at youdiscovering.org. That's you discovering you, spelled D-I-S-C-O-V-E-R-I-N-G.org. And we are also sponsored today by Mayor Johnson, the makers of Boardmaker. They have recently released an e-catalog featuring hundreds of great products, including several significantly reduced in price. You can visit www.mayor-johnson.com. That's www.mayer, M-A-Y-E-R, hyphen, Johnson, J-O-H-N-S-O-N, dot com to learn more. Well, Ellen Sheffield-Pace will be joining us here any minute. It looks like she's clicked on right there. Um, Good afternoon, Ellen. I am... Have a little bit of a technical difficulty. I will be with you here in one second. Mute slide. There we go. There we go. All right. And Ellen Shafield Pace is here with us today. She is a psychotherapist in private practice in Richmond Heights, Missouri. Ellen specializes in the treatment of eating disorders and works with individuals and their families affected by this illness. Ellen's commitments in St. Louis in the St. Louis community include serving on the board of the Scholarship Foundation and on the development board of Forsyth School. She's the past president of the alumni board at John Burroughs School. She has a BA in art history from Middlebury College and a master's in social work from Washington University. Welcome to the show, Ellen. How are you doing today? Just fine. Nice to be here. 
Great. Well, we're going to talk about a variety of things today related to eating disorders um, and the underlying issues often associated with them, um, including how to be preventative, signs of eating disorder, creating an environment that is safe to talk about those things. So let's just kick it off right away, Ellen, and tell me about some of the underlying issues that go along with sort of eating issues and body image issues. Okay. Well, first of all, I just want to say that, you know, eating disorders are different from eating issues. Um, eating disorders are extremely complex illnesses, and there's any number of underlying issues. Um, so some, you know, you might have a presentation of a, of a person with an underlying depression or anxiety or both. Um, you might have someone who's having major changes in family, um, such as a, a divorce or there's some kind of a secret being held. It's also not uh, not always the case, but there are also people who've been abused in some way, sexually, verbally, emotionally, physically, and that can um, be an underlying factor for developing an eating disorder. So it's it's every eating disorder is different. There's no, like, you know, if this happens to you, you're going to have an eating disorder. You just really have to get into talking with someone, finding out what's going on in their lives, meeting with a family, and learning more about, um, you know, how they how they develop this disordered relationship with food. Okay, so so it just sounds like there's just a whole lot of different issues that can contribute to sort of those underlying problems. So kind of what I'm hearing you saying is that, you know, the eating issue doesn't happen in a vacuum, so to speak. There's maybe something that triggers it. Is that a correct assumption? Yeah, and often, you know, often the eating issue is over, it's it's the layer that covers the the more dominant issue, which is perhaps a kid with a lot of social anxiety or a kid that's feeling really sad about their experience in life. And so the eating becomes a way to mask the problem and to manage emotion. And I think that's a really key thing is that eating disorders are not about food. People think it's about controlling what you eat or counting your calories or exercising. It has nothing to do with that. That's just kind of what it looks like externally. An eating disorder at, at its core is an attempt to manage uh, an emotional disturbance, to manage emotion that doesn't feel good. Are there more emotional issues that are, are there maybe specific emotional issues that are more likely to lead to eating disorders than other things? I know you, you listed a whole host of things that kind of contribute <laughs> to eating, but are there some that are more prevalent or is it just sort of, you know, a mix and match type of situation? No, the most prevalent presentation is anxiety. And it's a close more? second of depression, but the most prevalent is anxiety. I mean, people with eating disorders, again, I don't want to stereotype, but they tend to be type A, perfectionistic, very bright, very capable, and they have a pretty good dose of anxiety that comes along with that, that need to strive and perform and, and you know, do well. You know, and, and since the core of our audience has kids, what is that, you know, when you say it's sort of that type A individual, what does that student look like? What does that teenager look like typically? You know, how are they doing in school? What are their social activities like? Is, is there a sort of a pattern or a description of that that you can, that you can relate? Well, 
Yes, I mean, it, it, this this child looks like, you know, let's take a sophomore, you know, a girl who's in her sophomore year or junior year. I mean, they are getting straight A's. They are, you know, they ace their scores. They are going from horseback riding to track to lacrosse to choir to the symphony to, I mean, they are on the go. And I recently been working with a client who, um, you know, I said, you're going to have to make time to take care of this because looking at her schedule, there really wasn't time to meet in therapy or in family therapy. And I said, you know, something's got to go because this is, this is going to take you down unless you address it. So they tend to be very, very successful and very driven, yet they lose the journey. They, they, they're, they're doing so much that they're not being and they're not feeling. And that's the main thing is all that activity pushes emotion to the side and they're not feeling their way through life either. Sure. So it sounds like on the surface, these kids probably present as that type of kid that every parent wants, you know, involved in every activity at a high level, making grades, probably taking AP or IB classes. It sounds mm-hmm. like this is on the surface, that perfect kid. Is that is that pretty consistent with what you see? It is very consistent. Um, but the key thing there is that it's not sustainable. You know, it's not a sustainable lifestyle. So it's such and a high they, level. And then they crash. Yeah. Gotcha. You know, one of the things that, that, that really jumped out at me in your in your last comments there was is that these kids have to make time to deal with their issues. I can imagine yeah. that you do get a lot of pushback. Like that description of your client this, that you described sounds so right on with that high-performing kid. When do I have time to go see a therapist for an hour? And then what kind mm-hmm. of time is that going to mm-hmm. require in addition to therapy? So I'm assuming mm-hmm. that probably one of the biggest barriers for these people is not only just admitting it, but then carving in the time out in their schedule. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just said to her, you know, something's got to go here, you know. It, it, this, this, you, you, this, And then their parents, of course, backed me up. Um, but it, it, it didn't, you know, it, it wasn't occurring to this particular client to make the space for it. And, and it's true. And that, that is, it'd be the same thing to say, you know, what about taking an hour each day just to be? You don't have to be doing anything. You don't have to be on the phone. You don't have to be on the computer. You don't have to be reading the paper. You know, just be, just be in your life. And, you know, I'm concerned about the way things are going, and I have children myself. And, you know, sometimes my husband will say, what do you want to do today? And I say, nothing. (laughs) don't want to do anything. Like, we go all week. Like, let's do nothing. Let's work at doing nothing. And we need to work at that as a nation. You know, we are just way too overscheduled. Yes, we are. You know, and I like that what you said is that you you said to this girl, you just need to take an hour. You know, and I'm wondering if potentially before she got to, you know, this level of anxiety that came out as an eating issue, if she would have just taken an hour to just sort of decompress every day, if that would have kept these issues at bay and helped her learn how to relax. So what can families do? Suppose maybe they have preteens or even slightly older teens and they're worried about these things. What are some things that families can do to help prevent the onset of not just eating issues but maybe anxiety or depression because you say those all kind of go together? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, parents can do a whole lot in, um, you know, not only how they live their own lives, but how they create an environment to, you know, for children to grow up in that is calm and isn't rushed and, 
um, frenetic and chaotic, you know, that, that there's time to hang out and be together and there's time to sit down to a meal together um, and to have an exchange, you know, like, how are you doing? And, and you know, there's there's a space there for emotion, you know. What happened today, you know? How, how, how are things going for you? Um, because that, you know, what happens is when you begin to see signs of an eating disorder creeping in is the child... Um, becomes more withdrawn and more isolated and loses interest in doing things that he or she and it's mostly she but we do we do treat boys too um, that they they wouldn't think about missing that they, they they start to lose steam and that's when I say like it's it's not sustainable but, right right you know and what I and, and, and what I'm hearing from you is that, that parents really need to take an active role in carving out specific times of the day, not just for their kids to decompress, but to spend time with their kids. Give some suggestions for families on, on more specific ways to do that. What are good times and what types of conversations are appropriate and things like that? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you have to be realistic. I mean, not every family can sit down to dinner every night together. Not every family wants to do that. Um, people have different schedules. But, you know, I... I think if it if you gotta start with what you can do. I mean, could is it possible to sit down like twice a week for dinner? Um, I I like to connect with my kids in the car because they're kind of locked in, <laughs> they're trapped. Um, and, and I agree. And, I I love that car talk time with the kids because you know they don't have a choice but to interact with you. Yeah, <laughs> and then I I often offer something about my day. You know, not just what how was your day, but well, I want to tell you something that happened to me today, and I'll I'll share with them. Or, you know, this really made me laugh today. Did something make you laugh today? So trying to connect with them in ways that aren't so, um, I don't know, prescribed. You know, you I know, think these kids, my daughter, she gets in the car, and she knows it's coming, like, how was your day? And, and she, she can't rub two words together for me, so... So, so what I'm hearing is for you to say, you know, to encourage parents and families to just sort of be with their kids. You don't have to have serious topics that you're discussing. It can be slice-of-life stuff. It can be that person that annoyed you at the grocery store or that funny thing that happened at the office or something like that. Just maybe it sounds like you're just trying to get your kids comfortable with talking to you no matter what the topic is. Right, right. And, that, and that's the key thing is to to be with them and to be present with them, you know, and that that can take some work, but, you know, to to just go sit and be with them and hang out and not be having to do anything. You don't, um, you know, read the paper while they're doing their homework. You just kind of hang out. Yeah, and and so you're saying, like, even just like you said, just sort of they're doing homework. You're reading the paper. You're next to them. Everybody's focused and enjoying each other's time. You know, one of the things that you alluded to in your past few comments is that while it stereotypically happens with girls that they have eating issues. You also mentioned that it does happen with boys as well. Um, uh-huh. You know, does, is that similar looking in terms of that, is that boy look the same as that girl does in terms of being that sort of type A individual? And, you know, you know maybe sort of speak to, you know, are the signs the same for boys and girls and what kind of signs parents can look for and things things of that nature? Yeah, I mean, eating disorders, they don't know the boundaries of gender or socioeconomics, I mean, it is it is the very same presentation. You know, a boy could could be feeling anxious or depressed or socially isolated or struggling with issues around sexuality. That's another, you know, 
issue that young people deal with. Um, so it, it looks very much the same, and then you see the same withdrawal and, and isolation and loss of interest in things. So really, almost what you're describing, is, and I think it goes back to your original comment that you know the eating disorder is symptomatic of the underlying issue. So I hear you as you're describing sort of depressed and anxious kids, kids struggling yeah. with identity issues, potentially developmental issues. Maybe they're not moving through the stages as well. So is, is that kind of like correct? Is that sort of that assumption? And and are there are there you know when you say withdrawal and things like that, are there is there something more specific parents can be looking for, or is it just sort of that gut feeling? Well, I think parents um, parents should be looking for emotional shifts in their children. Often, it's hard for parents to see that, believe it or not. They don't want to see it. They're kind of blocked to seeing it. So often a teacher will bring it to light and say, well, have you noticed that, you know, Jennifer has, really lost a lot of weight and, you know, she's not looking as healthy to me and so it'll come to attention that way. But um, that, you know, I think it, it's it's natural for parents not to want to see their children in pain, but I think being more mindful and present with them, it would be more obvious that they, they couldn't help but see what was going on with their child. And so when you say emotional shift, you're talking about that kid that, you know, normally seems happy and easy-go-lucky, and then all of a sudden you're seeing that sort of withdrawn, tired, um, that type of emotional shift. Is, is that kind of what we're looking for? Um, that, it can look like that, and it can look like a lot of different things. I mean, another client I've been working with, I think another young woman, very bright, very capable, Um because she was always on the go and, you know, succeeding and striving, I think she lost touch with her own self, you know, like, does she really want to be doing all these things? You know, is this is this her truth in, in a way? Um, and parents can help children with that, you know, like, what what are your favorite, what is your favorite sport? You know, we can't choose four. Which one really makes you happy? Which one do you really feel alive doing? Um and helping them navigate their lives in ways that reflects who they really are. So it, it sounds like the parents can help to calm the kids down, but I'm also wondering, um, not only just with the clients that you see, but maybe the kids that you just sort of see around your neighborhood and your school, are parents pushing the kids too hard, and are parents seemingly aware of, you know, that they are pushing their kids, you know, to um, be on that select sports team to play that one sport year-round or those two things year-round. Do you see that parents are not even aware that they're doing this to their kids? Are they are they a big piece of this puzzle? You know, I think it's become the norm in America, so it doesn't seem to be different or or uh, pathological in any way. You know, and I and I don't mean at all to say that playing select teams is you're right. I mean it's 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 a great thing to do. Um, it's really about looking at your own kid as an individual and, and how how is he or she coping? How how is it working for her as uh, for her? Is this is this a good fit? And I, I know parents who have opted out of that, that level of activity and and really manage their kids' times in ways that that keeps them healthy. Um so I think that's gotta be the the, the, the access point is is this working for this child? Some kids can manage a whole lot of activity and homework and, and a lot better than others. 
Right, right. So it sounds like those parents just really need to be active. Now, when they do say to their child, hey, why don't you back off of this sport or that sport, um, or maybe not do this activity, are there some kids that, you know, have sort of a anxiety about now not being part of the group? Sure, yeah. Yeah. So it's it's really hard for those parents to find the balance, it sounds like, between how do you push your kids, how do you give them that downtime and that free time. So it just sounds really confusing. And I like what you said. It just seems to be societally we're really pushing these kids harder and harder. Um mm-hmm. One of the things that you'd mentioned uh, a, a couple of minutes ago that I wanted to go back to is you said that, you know, eating issues, really there's no socioeconomic breakdowns. There's there's none of that. It can hit everybody. Do you really find that true across the board, or are you seeing more of these eating and body images with sort of that more affluent private school type of kid that's, you know, planning on going to that, you know, A-level Ivy League college or that big, huge school? Do you see it more there? Or do you see it more with that sort of typical average kid? Um, or is there just no way to even decipher which has the issue? Uh, it, it really does know. run the gamut. It really runs the gamut. And I, I lived and worked in, in England, too, and it was very same same as well. You know, it just doesn't – that's a myth that, that anorexia in particular is lodged into the – you know, upper class, and it, it is a myth. It's not true. It happens there, and it also happens in 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 impoverished families. Wow. So um, that and the that reason I, that is is because it's about emotion. It's about managing emotion, and everybody is doing the best they can. And sometimes, um, you know, the 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 adaptation of developing an eating disorder is an attempt to help oneself manage emotion better. And yet, it is an attempt that's going to be effective in the long term. You know, and that's a pretty powerful thing for uh, people to be aware of is that, you know, anorexia really does not, you know, crosses all racial, social, economic boundaries that, you know, Mm -hmm. it is a myth that it is part of the upper class. I think that's very enlightening. So as Mm -hmm. kids start to develop these eating disorders, are they aware they're not doing something that's healthy for them? Are they aware that they're in trouble? Or are they just so focused mm-hmm. on that body image piece that you know they just continue to lose weight and they think things are okay? Is, is there an awareness with that adolescent that's struggling with an eating issue? You know, that's a good question. And the answer is, again, complex. With bulimia nervosa, it's more obvious that this is not a normal thing to be doing, to be eating a lot of food and then purging or running 18 miles to get rid of it. Um, with anorexia, it's more insidious, I'd say. It's, it's a little more, um, you know, because the, the, there's, again, a cultural norm that people want to be losing weight and are striving to do that, that they think they're in control of it. They think that... Um, that they're just going to lose a little weight and feel better and look better, and then they're going to stop. And then when they can't stop, we know we're into something else. So the bulimia kids really understand it. So with the anorexia kids, are they they understand it as well, but it's just more prominent that those bulimic kids really get it. Is that what I'm hearing? Well, I think that the bulim- I think kids engaging in bulimic behaviors think they can stop it too initially, mm-hmm. um, but they're more aware that this is an abnormal. You know, restricting your food versus eating a lot and throwing up, they're aware that that's, that's not what the majority of people are doing to manage their weight. 
or, or you know, in this case, emotion. Um, so it's it's really that you know that loss of control over the behavior that flips you into a diagnostic category, and then we need to look at okay, so what what's flipped them in there? What's going on underneath all this? And really looking at their emotional lives and their emotional well being. Right, right. And so are the kids hiding this not just from their family members, because I'm assuming that they are, but they're hiding it from their friends as well? And what might be how somebody, you know, obviously the bulimic is is hiding it by not letting anybody see or hear them, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. um, throw up. But are anorexics hiding it? Are they wearing different clothes to kind of protect themselves from their their parental, their parents? Do they do those types of behaviors? Yeah, they do. They do. They They dress in baggy clothes and they hide their bodies um they don't they don't want anybody to see how in often cases emaciated they're becoming um so they do they do attempt to hide it and, and i'm assuming along with the anorexia there's also some physical symptomology that goes with it in addition to the emaciation are there some other physical medical concerns that maybe parents when they see this should be aware of and say ooh maybe there's an underlying eating issue well i mean it is anorexia Eating disorders are the number one cause of death in mental illness. So it, this is a serious matter, and the, the biggest concern is the heart and the pressure that not nourishing the body puts on the, or nur- not nourishing the body in a healthy way puts on the heart. And so, you know, unfortunately, we have lost patients who have died in their sleep or have died in the midst of purging, or you know, their their bodies just their hearts can't do it anymore. They don't have the fuel. They need the fuel to function properly. Well, I have really learned quite a bit here today. One, you know, as I mentioned before, the myth that it is a issue with the upper class is false. But that last thing that you said, the number one cause of death among individuals with mental illness is related to yeah. anorexia and eating disorder. Those, those are really powerful statements, and parents really need to be paying a lot of attention to their kids to make sure that they're helping them out. As we start to close the show... Yeah. Are there a couple uh, let me of, just add that too. Sure. I mean, be, yeah. And the sooner you bring your children into treatment for an assessment, the better. I mean, just if you have, if you're just thinking this is going on, and you, you know, nip it in the bud because the sooner we address it, the better chance they have of really getting better for the long term. Yeah, I always tell parents to trust their gut. You know, if you yeah. think something is wrong. You know, what's wrong with contacting your, your pediatrician or even better yet, a therapist that specializes in whatever the issue is? And I always try and encourage parents, you know, therapy isn't for the, you know, mentally unhealthy. It's for everyone because we all have problems that we need to work through. Um, and yeah, so, yeah. And so Absolutely. As, as we start to close the show, I was just saying a couple of uh, things that maybe you want to highlight again for parents or, or, or our listeners that would be important um, in your field of expertise. Well, I think that, um, you know, what comes to mind is, you know, this is a very complex illness and it is not the parent's fault. You know, I really think that, you know, it's, that, that can be the number one deterrent to, I mean, parents feel a lot of shame about a child developing an eating disorder and the culture tends to blame them. And yet, if, when we really sit down and look at it and start you know, piecing out what's going on. It's it's a much more systemic issue. It's a much broader issue. And if, if parents can come in and kind of hang their guilt on the door and really help us explore what's going on, that that is the, 
most ideal situation. And I think for any issue, parents often need to realize that they are not the fault of the problem, that they are part of the solution. I think that is a great yeah. way to end this conversation. This is the Dr. Russell Hyken Show. We have been speaking with Ellen Sheffield Tace, a psychotherapist who specializes in eating issues and um, issues that family face regarding on that. If somebody wanted to contact you, do you have a, a phone number you'd like to provide for them to contact you or something like that? Sure. The best way to reach me is on my business cell phone, which is 314-800-8929, or you can send me an email at paceellen at gmail.com. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. As I said, you've been listening to the Dr. Russell Hyken Show. If you'd like more information about Dr. Russell Hyken, you can find him at teenparentingexpert.com. His book, my book, The Parent Playbook, is available on Amazon. And if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, I am at Dr. Hyken. That's at D-R-H-Y-K-E-N. Thank you so much, Ellen. It has been a very informative conversation. Thank uh, you, Rusty. I think there's a lot of great information out there for parents. So thanks, and have a great day. Okay. Bye-bye.